0: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening
1: and thanks for joining us. We're going to start with a shocking whistleblower exclusive. New details about organized crime and how it may have first made its way into B.C. casinos.
2: A former supervisor who worked for Great Canadian in Richmond in the mid-90s and early 2000s has come forward to global news. John Hua has more, including a journal detailing what she claims to have seen on the casino floor.
1: For many years, Lower Mainland Casinos unwittingly served as laundromats for the proceeds of organized
3: crime.
4: Long before the German report... 8,000 to 10,000 players visit this casino on a daily basis. Back to a time when the River Rock was only a dream. There was the original Great Canadian Casino in Richmond, a workplace where Muriel Labine claims staff were living a nightmare.
5: Oh my God, we're dealing with, with gangs. This is Asian crime gangs.
4: The former dealer supervisor, who fearing for her safety, asked that her appearance be concealed, said it was in the late 90s that the provincial government changed the casino game, virtually overnight.
5: The NDP brought in new rules for the casinos, and it was higher limits for the tables. They brought in new games, and they gave them longer hours.
4: Within days of introducing baccarat tables and high-stake bets, this grandmother from the suburbs claims she found herself face-to-face with suspected gangsters staff dubbed The Boys.
5: I came into the casino one night to go to work. There was one of our customers with two of the loan sharks had him up against the wall on the outside of the building and threatening him.
4: Inside the casino, she says The Boys acted with impunity.
5: They would bring their clients in and sit beside their clients and would keep passing the the client money or chips.
4: Levine says some patrons would come in with visible bruises. At one point, even a staff member was threatened with violence.
5: One of the boys put his hand in the shape of a gun and threatened to kill her.
4: Levine claims when management intervened, it was the dealer, not the player, that was removed.
5: Management was coming out of the back office saying they're just friends loaning money to friends. We thought management doesn't have our back anymore. We're out there alone.
4: That's when staff started a journal documenting what they claim they saw, amounting to more than 100 pages of handwritten notes.
5: We were really nervous about writing the journal, but we felt we needed to do
4: it. The contents read like a crime novel.
5: Two of our young supervisors have refused openly to enforce the rule and for fear of retaliation from the backrut players and the gangs.
4: Or a prequel what would become prevalent money laundering in this province.
5: He opens the bag and right in front of me begins to pass out bundles of $20 bills to the
4: boys. Labine says she even joined work committees to make it a matter of health and safety.
5: The first thing we wanted on the agenda was the gangs because we felt we were in an unsafe workplace.
4: The claims casino management wasn't interested.
5: Shut me right down, right there. And we spent the next hour talking about what shoes staff were allowed to wear.
4: Documents show that Great Canadian would later respond to Labine's concerns, stating the employer was aware of the situation since the beginning and had taken actions to ban unwanted patrons and alert the authorities. When Global News reached out to Great Canadian for comment, no interview was granted. Only the statement, we do not comment on employee matters. We are challenged to understand how allegations from 20 years ago provide value.
5: In those early years, when I was the gangs first arrived in the casino, those were baby steps. That was the training ground for what was to come.
4: As for government intervention, Labine claims to have witnessed a disturbing scene that made her believe the boys were tipped off about BC Lottery Corporation inspection tours.
5: There's a very short whispered conversation, and they walked out the door, all of them.
4: Later on, BCLC would have someone on the casino floor, but Levine says it made no difference.
5: I could see it, and I'm a middle-aged grandmother at the time from the suburbs. If I can see it, why can the professionals not see it?
4: What was impossible to miss, the massive payout for both the casino operator and province. Gaming Commission revenue sheets show while the Richmond Casino raked in $1.6 million in May of 97, the next month games, hours and betting limits were expanded and revenue soared to $2.5 million in June.
6: One of the reasons why the changes were taking place was because so many people were now going to Washington State to play and it was obviously, you know, we want to keep them.
4: Mike Farnworth, the minister responsible for gaming at the time, says back then slots, not table games, were the major concern. As for having the foresight to add more safeguards... At that
6: time, we put in place the regulations that we felt were appropriate based on the best advice that we had at that time. And so, do I have a responsibility for those? Absolutely.
4: With little to no support, Labine says staff felt hopeless.
5: If you wanted to keep your job, you took the money, you said nothing, and you just kept on going.
4: At other times, like an accomplice. It wasn't a good feeling. Tomorrow, trying to fold on a casino career that left her in fear.
5: I knew that I was no longer wanting to work in this
4: place. The continuation of a casino whistleblower exclusive. John Hua, Global News.
2: Richard Zussman is live in Victoria with more on these allegations. Richard, the NDP have been laying this problem at the feet of the Liberals uh, for some time. Now, the Liberals, of course, in power for 16 years. We did see a little bit of Mike Farnworth uh, in John Hua's story. but what, What more can you tell us about the provincial government's reaction
7: today? Now, we did see a little bit of Mike Farner there, Sophie. And this story is getting attention. To the highest levels of government, including right here at the Premier's office, Premier John Horgan, speaking about this issue today. He said the goal of his government is to stamp out money laundering, and they all have already addressed concerns at casinos, but they haven't done everything yet in order to prevent widespread money laundering. As you mentioned, all of this circles around the NDP government from the late 1990s and Mike Farnworth, who was the minister responsible at the time. Green party leader Andrew Weaver speaking out about this story as well, saying he is going to put pressure on the government until he sees changes.
8: There's much more work to do and I just don't know what the value is of going back uh, two, three decades or two decades in this case and saying hey that's where it started. What what is most troubling is how this has been going on for so long in British Columbia with so little oversight and so little attention
3: given to it.
7: Premier John Horgan and the NDP are still reviewing two separate reports that were done on money laundering that are on their desk now. Cabinet will be looking at those and ultimately making a decision on whether they will pursue a public inquiry into all this. But Sophie, what's clear is there is huge uh, public pressure coming now to call that inquiry. The question is, will they do it?
2: Good question. Hopefully we'll get an answer one of these days. Thank you very much, Richard.
1: All right, there was a lot on Premier Horgan's plate today because also he was pushing back against Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's move to pass Bill 12, which, if enacted, could block oil and gas exports to the West Coast. Keith Baldry has more on the action taken by our Premier and his new request of the Prime Minister.
9: Alberta's new Premier wasted little time
10: today aiming his sights at his Western neighbor. One province claiming to have the power to block exports from the rest of Canada would undermine one of the principles of our confederation.
9: Jason Kenney has now proclaimed into law his province's Bill 12, which gives his energy minister the power to arbitrarily halt the shipment of any gasoline to B.C. But that won't happen just yet.
1: Using this legislation would be the final
10: and not the first step in um, uh, responding to a campaign of obstruction.
9: Kenny's move brought a swift response from the B.C. government, which immediately went to court to block his government from taking action.
0: This morning our lawyers were in Calgary filing a statement of claim in the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench. Uh, This is the proper mechanism to start a constitutional challenge of Alberta's Bill 12.
9: And Premier Horgan said he talked with Alberta's new premier last evening.
8: Uh, Last night, I had a respectful and diplomatic conversation with the new uh, Premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney. And we agreed that we need to keep lines of communication open.
9: And then the Premier played yet another card in this ongoing dispute, calling on the Prime Minister to get more gasoline into the existing Trans Mountain pipeline, one his government owns.
8: If the federal government, the owner of the pipeline... Uh, certainly could uh, direct that light oil that could be refined at Parkland or a refined product could replace the diluted bitumen that currently is thwarting our efforts to get more gas into the Lower Mainland. I'm hopeful that the federal government, if they see this as a project in the national interest, will also see a national interest in making rational pricing in the Lower Mainland when it comes to uh, retail gasoline.
1: All right, Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, did uh, Premier Kenny give any indication how quickly he might use Bill 12 to turn off the taps? Well,
9: it's interesting how he continues to soften his rhetoric compared to what he said in the election campaign. Again, today saying this is a last resort measure for him, uh, and he wants to have meetings. And he's talking about uh, the Western Premier's Conference, which is going to be in, in June, First Minister's Conference in July. He's obviously trying to arrange some diplomacy, not only with John Horgan, but probably with Justin Trudeau as well. So he's softening the rhetoric, and I think that pushes off into the distance any chance of him taking action. In the meantime, we've got this. This is a statement of claim from the B.C. government, 10 pages, arguing it's unconstitutional and what can is arguing. So the courts may well weigh in here and make a final arbitration uh, ruling here before Mr. Kennedy gets to the point uh, actually trying to turn off those taps.
1: All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Right.
2: A Metro Vancouver man who pleaded guilty to driving without due care and attention in connection with a crash that killed a 21-year-old woman on the Coquihalla in 2017 learned his fate today. Jill Bennett has more on the circumstances and why the sentence has the victim's family in disbelief. April
11: 2017, this was the scene on the Coquihalla Highway near Merritt. At least seven cars slid off the road. One was driven by 21-year-old university student Melissa Mamura from Japan. She got out of her car, called her boyfriend, but was then hit and killed by another vehicle.
9: I was like, just hold on there, I'll call 911. I was on the other line with 911 operator, and when I went on the other line,
3: uh, I couldn't hear her. That was it.
11: The driver who hit Mamura, George Holoko, pleaded guilty to driving without due care and attention. Court heard he was going 90 kilometers per hour. The variable speed limit posted at the time was either 100 or 120. He was sentenced Wednesday, given a $1,500 fine.
0: But
3: $1,500 is not even like, does, doesn't even come close
9: to the closure, I would say.
11: In handing down his sentence, the judge called this a case of simple negligence, saying the driver, George Holoco, should have reduced his speed for the road conditions. He called Holoco a responsible person who made a mistake, a mistake that has caused suffering to two families.
6: I know they'll never get over losing their daughter. I just want them to know that I think about it every day. and I, I just hope that, you know, my feelings in that way sort of transfer to them in some way and help them
11: cope with it. Mamura's father says the sentence doesn't fit the crime.
6: Our laws in Japan and
4: Canada are so different. seems like nothing else we can do. We just have to suffer. In Japan, the person would be in jail for a few years.
11: Mamura's friends left court saying seeing some remorse helps with their loss. Haloko has two months to pay the fine. Jill Bennett, Global News.
1: RCMP are investigating the discovery of a body found in a burned-out truck this morning. Photos from the scene show forensic investigators in their white suits combing through a wooded area east of Oliver. RCMP say the fire department originally responded to reports of a car fire. Further examination revealed the human remains in the debris. Police say the Ford pickup involved may have been stolen out of Penticton. Both major crimes and the BC Coroner Service are investigating and at this point the identity of the deceased is not known. More tonight from the double murder trial of a Vancouver Island father accused of killing his two young daughters. Today defense for Andrew Berry, who has pleaded not guilty to the charges, was trying to raise doubt about the testimony of one of the first responders on the scene that day. Ramina Dea was in court and she has the details.
12: It is crucial testimony. Kill me, kill me, just kill me. Defence suggesting the accused Andrew Barry never uttered these words to Oak Bay firefighter Bradley Trenholm. Defence, when you were in the bathroom the first time alone, would you agree with me that it's possible that didn't happen? Trenholm, all I can tell you is what my memories are. If they're incorrect, that's possible. Those are my memories. Trenholm told the jury his memories are foggy because it was a traumatic event and 16 months have passed since Chloe and Aubrey were found dead in their father's apartment on Christmas Day. Barry discovered naked and badly injured in the bathtub. Because of Trenholm's uncertainty on the stand, defense argued Barry could have said tried to kill me or don't kill me reinforcing defense's theory, the real killer got away because of police mistakes and Barry was always treated as a suspect, never a victim. Defense, do you recall saying to Brown, another firefighter, I think this is the guy who did it? I take it you'd agree with me you're not denying saying that to Brown. Trenholm, no, I can't deny anything I can't remember. Crown has told the jury the evidence will show Barry was depressed and in financial trouble. Therefore, he couldn't support his kids, so he killed them and tried to commit suicide. Romina Dea, Global News.
2: The Whitecaps are apologizing today for how the club handled allegations of abuse involving a former coach. Jordan Armstrong is live with more on the apology. Jordan, they're promising a review of this case as well.
0: They are, Sophie, but that review and today's apology come too late for some former players as well as fans. As you know, fans have been walking out of games here at BC Place, including the match just this past weekend, because they feel the team has mishandled allegations made by members of the Whitecaps women's teams in 2008. Allegations against a former coach that resurfaced in a recent blog post by former player Sierra McCormack. She's accused officials of failing to adequately respond after the incidents were reported. Well, today, the co-owner of the Whitecaps says he's sorry for any pain and suffering female players may have experienced. I would say to all the group, um, you know, thank you for raising these issues. If there's uh, information that wasn't made available before, uh, please bring it forward. Uh, especially at some of these allegations, the Vancouver Police Department is is concerned with it. We're concerned with it. We we believe that we made. The right moves to get to this point, but we're open to making adjustments if we need to. Uh, they're they're going to be able to see the changes that we're recommending. We're bringing in an independent group from the outside to to, to look at this. So we're trying to, to see. We're welcoming, and the big issue we're on the same thing. Let's get the truth out and let's get to a comfortable, safe environment. Now we stress these are allegations. No charges have been laid at this point. Former player Sierra McCormack responding in a tweet this afternoon. Quote. No sincerity, no accountability, plus many, many unanswered questions remain. It has taken two months since the blog. Two fan walkouts, plus a 10,000-person drop in fan attendance to even have this addressed. Not even close to good enough, end quote. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for the fans, known as the Southsiders, says they're reviewing this apology too early to say at this point if those fan walkouts will continue. Sophie?
2: All right, thanks for that. Jordan Armstrong reporting at BC Place.
1: A renewed search is being launched for a plane carrying a young couple who went missing while flying into BC almost two years ago. Alex Simons and Sydney Robillard were flying from Lethbridge to Kamloops in 2017 when they landed to refuel in Cranbrook. That was the last place they were ever seen. Grace Key explains why family members believe the pair flew off course and the earlier search was in the wrong place.
13: There's renewed hope for the family of Alex Simons and Sydney Robillard. The pair went missing almost two years ago while flying from Lethbridge to Kamloops with a stop in Cranbrook. A private search will soon be underway that will focus on a new area.
10: It's a very rugged area. The terrain is very unforgiving. And so we are really looking for people who have that experience uh, in those environments. Um, we're looking for drone pilots with the uh, experience of capturing pictures.
13: On June 8, 2017, the two were last seen at around 3 p.m. at the Cranbrook Airport, where they refueled. A half hour after takeoff, a storm rode through the area. A 12-day search involving military and civilian volunteers concentrated on the St. Mary's Valley and Redding Creek areas. But now the search will focus in the area of Lost Dog Lake. This after a pilot from Kimberly recently contacted the family saying he remembers seeing a Piper plane in the area at around the time the missing plane took off from Cranbrook, giving loved ones new hope. We've kind of been in
10: that uh, mainstay for almost two years of not healing and not moving forward. So the should we find the plane um, definitely will give us a starting point to start healing and finding some peace
13: family members will be traveling to southeast bc to take part in the three-day private search
10: it is our deepest desire to find alex and sydney and to say our goodbyes basically
1: grace key global news right now though residential parking stalls cost tens of thousands of dollars per unit and while they used to be a hot commodity, driving habits are changing and many are going unused.
2: Now, when you study proves what developers have been saying for a while now. They shouldn't have to build so many. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, they're calling for a change they believe would benefit everyone.
3: A typical scene in the West End. Dozens of parking spots empty. The development community is looking at all of this underutilized space and trying to bring down the cost of housing. Each stall in a high-rise can cost as much as $60,000 to build and add two years to the project's completion date.
4: The last project that we did, we sold the parking stalls to to users for $60,000 so we're probably losing $40,000 a stall on those.
3: Money that is passed on to homeowners. What the developers are saying, backed up by research. A report headed to Metro Vancouver Wednesday shows there are 42% more parking spaces than cars in condo buildings and 35% more in rental-only buildings. Yet a majority of people surveyed responded that buildings need more parking.
14: The numbers do not bear that out because the cars aren't there, the parking stalls aren't being used.
3: Downtown Vancouver now has almost zero parking requirements. Developers can build what they think the market will bear, with a mandate for more electric vehicle charging stations and bike facilities. But the rest of the city and region including future high density transit hubs, parking stalls are still a
0: requirement. And it really depends on location. So some buildings do need to have more parking. Uh, Other locations arguably could have less. Uh, Right now you think of having a parking stall as more of an expectation. Uh, The reality is it's actually a luxury. While
3: developers are promising savings, cities are prioritizing transportation other than in private cars. Both leading to buildings, with fewer empty stalls. Aaron MacArthur Global News.
9: We want some science-based decisions.
1: Dozens of
3: recreational
1: anglers protesting government restrictions on the Chinook fishery outside fisheries minister Jonathan Wilkinson's office in North Vancouver today. Fisheries and oceans closed the fishery on the south coast to combat the decline of Fraser River Chinook. These guys say it's hurting their business and that the commercial and native fishery has a far greater impact on salmon stock than they do. The restrictions won't be lifted until July 15th, when recreational fishers will still have a daily limit of only one. Commercial troll fisheries for Chinook won't reopen until late August.
9: We want to know why he shut down uh, the south coast to Chinook retention when DFO's science and his science and his advisory board shows that we catch less than 1 percent of the Chinook stocks of concern. He had options, we could have gone one a day, we could have gone hatchery only, we could have kept this billion dollar economy going, and we want some answers.
2: Well, the evidence of chafer beetles is everywhere. Torn up lawns from birds and other animals hunting the larvae lurking under the grass.
1: As Linda Ailsworth reports, the city of Richmond is hoping education and a little critter called a nematode will keep the alien invaders in check.
15: May is Invasive Species Month in British Columbia, and in the city of Richmond, they're celebrating, if you can call it that, with an information booth at City Hall.
3: Each week uh, throughout the month, that's going to highlight one of four invasive species that we want to identify for the community.
15: During this, week one, they're showcasing the chafer beetle, which as we speak is lurking in many of our lawns, preparing to metamorphosize from larva to beetle.
3: By uh, late May, early June, the beetle is going to emerge from the soil uh, until they find a mate, and then they will return uh, back into the soil and submerge themselves to lay their eggs.
15: It's the larva or grub, that causes us grief, eating grass roots below the surface, while any number of predators tear up our lawns trying to reach them.
2: You
10: know, it is a frustrating thing, and we share that frustration. Um, and, you know, there's no silver bullet uh, thing that you can do to really address that.
15: But there are things you can do. This lawn at Richmond City Hall used to be your typical chafer beetle infested nightmare,
3: but no more. We have applied uh, nematodes, uh, the new species of nematodes on on this property, two consecutive years. And as you can can see, uh, we've we've been uh, really pleased with the results.
15: Nematodes are tiny parasitic worms you can pre-order at most garden centers.
3: And it's just watered into the soil at about the third week of July,
10: and that's right after the chafer beetle larvae have hatched, so they're at their most vulnerable.
15: They also use drought-tolerant grass, which they allow to grow to at least two to three inches, taller than usual. Yeah, so and they water it no more than one hour here. a week to promote so deeper, shrub, more resilient roots.
3: Then that really makes it harder for the, uh, chaffer, the adult chafers to get in there and, and lace, lay their eggs again. Of course, the chafer beetle is only
15: one of many invasive species causing us grief. To learn more, check out invasiveplants at richmond.ca. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
2: And in Surrey, the annual aerial assault on gypsy moths is now underway. The battle against the invasive species began over the north Surrey neighborhood of Fraser Heights, where an aircraft sprayed BTK to kill off the gypsy moth caterpillars. The substance will be sprayed three times over the area, seven to ten days apart. It's the third attempt at eradicating the potentially destructive gypsy moth, which has been reintroduced multiple times. The species threatens urban forests, agriculture and orchards.
1: Canadian troops are a common sight in public parades, but what some onlookers saw at Sunday's Calcet Day in Toronto Was not. This photo generating thousands of tweets of controversy after it appeared on social media. It shows soldiers openly carrying their guns in their hands with magazines in and no muzzle plugs. Military sources tell Global News it looked like they were ready for the battle zone instead of a celebratory march. The Canadian Army confirms it is not normal for weapons to be on display at events like this. And says this incident was inappropriate. The army will be cracking down with new orders banning soldiers from carrying weapons at public parades.
2: In Washington today, the U.S. Attorney General defended himself against accusations that he misled Congress.
1: Senators were grilling William Barr during his first testimony since the release of the Mueller report. The attorney general appearing before Congress amid reports that the special counsel told him that his four-page description of the probe's findings had caused confusion, Barr also laying out his reasoning in the absence of an obstruction of justice case against President Donald Trump.
5: You still have a situation where a president essentially tries to change the lawyer's account in order to prevent further criticism of himself.
6: Well, that's not a crime.
5: So you can, in this situation, instruct someone to lie? No, it has to be. Well, to be obstruction of justice, the lie has to be uh, tied to uh, impairing the evidence in a particular
0: proceeding.
2: Still in the U.S., a massive fire at a Tennessee recycling plant could burn for days. Thick black smoke from burning plastic continues to billow from the business in Knoxville. Firefighters are trying to put out the flames, but several propane tanks have already exploded. Because the fire is burning under so much debris, crews say it will take time to douse. Dozens of people living uh, near the fire have been forced out as a precaution and due to air quality
1: concerns. In Health Matters tonight, a warning about a growing beauty trend.
2: So-called vampire facials are available in Canada, including here in B.C. But U.S. health officials say they pose a potential health risk.
16: It's the bloody beauty craze that's gone mainstream. But now New Mexico health officials are investigating two cases of HIV among clients who received so-called vampire facials at an Albuquerque spa. It was shut down last year by the New Mexico Health Department. The facial, also known as the platelet-rich plasma facial, gained popularity years ago when Kim Kardashian, barr Raffaeli, and even Rupert Everett sought out its promise of younger, brighter skin. First, you draw the patient's blood, then spin it to remove the red cells, and finally microneedle or inject the remaining nutrient-rich plasma into the face, all for around $1,200. PRP facials are outstanding for improving texture, discoloration, acne scarring, fine lines and wrinkles. The equipment used in the facial is FDA approved, but the agency doesn't weigh in on its cosmetic benefits. The tips are single use. What happened in New Mexico could have been any, they could have reused the tip, they could have gotten blood on the instrument itself. Always use a board-certified doctor to reduce your risk of complications during the vampire facial. Molly Hunter, NBC News. A close call in
2: Stanley Park this afternoon. Firefighters responding to a call near the Teahouse restaurant. The smoke first spotted in the brush by a plane flying above. Thankfully, crews were able to knock it down before it, before it spread. The cause of the fire is under investigation.
1: The California Highway Patrol responded to an unusual distress call.
2: Why, officers won't forget the passenger they picked up near San Francisco. That's right after the forecast.
1: Alright, some great video. Christy Gordon mm-hmm. has it now in our weather forecast uh, from it's Chase BC. It looks really cool.
14: That's right. It was taken, I guess, n- last Wednesday, on the 24th, but we just got it in about an hour ago, thanks to Cole Finn. So, Chase BC, and a very well organized and what looks like a strong dust devil. And if you're wondering, I mean, they look very similar to uh, tornadoes, and they're same in their, in their composition, and then it's turning air in a vertical motion. But what is different between a dust devil and a tornado is, a tornado is actually spawned by a parent cell, so a massive thunderstorm, whereas these come from blue sky. So all it is is the winds sort of uh, turning uh, vertically and creating that. Now, these tend to be harmless, bless you, Sophie, Uh These tend to be harmless, but they have been known to cause some damage. Cole said that there wasn't any damage caused by this one. If you ever do see one like this, though, it is best to stay quite far away as it could be um, strong enough to cause uh, some problems. But great footage. Thanks so much for that, Cole. All right, so speaking of dusty, it is dry out there, everyone. Look at the fire danger rating right now. It is at a moderate level right across basically half of the province. And this is our forecast forecast no moisture as far as we can see. The general setup across the province is very similar. We've got this northerly flow and with this type of scenario, which is holding strong for quite some time, we don't get a lot of moisture from this. So you can see a wave of moisture pushing down. We'll see a few flurries possibly over higher terrain, a few showers, but not a lot of moisture. So this trend is going to continue. Now for the south coast, we also have a slight chance of showers, but it will be mainly over the mountains or out in the Fraser Valley. So That slight possibility is certainly there tomorrow, but mostly dry conditions. So there's your forecast, everyone. Lots of blue sky, but just that chance of showers down through the south also with a few flurries over higher terrain, about 1,000 meters and higher. But otherwise, look at your forecast for the next five days. Fantastic weather. And since it's May 1st, you got to have a shot of a mummy and a baby duck. And by the way, this uh, duck, only one little duckling, which is surprising. Typically, they have 8 to 13, so I'm hoping everything's okay
1: wow only child
14: mm-hmm. all right thanks very much it's Chris. Be spoiled exactly
1: <laughs> all right the california highway patrol came to the rescue early yesterday near san francisco
2: officers receiving a call about a sea lion in distress on a busy freeway south of the city several people had pulled over to keep it away from traffic police plucked the marine mammal from the shoulder of the highway and say it seemed happy to be saved jumping in the back seat of the cruiser The sea lion, which appeared to be healthy and unhurt, enjoyed a ride to the local SBCA.
1: I'm still thinking I look more like a seal. But anyway, how about this? Hi. Hi there.
2: (laughs) How about this for swooping in on a TV opportunity? This seagull getting its big break Tuesday as a London traffic reporter. (laughs) Bird photobombing a local traffic camera. Transport for London traffic tweeted a video of this with the caption, Due to popular demand, a quick update from our popular reporter just north of the Blackwall Tunnel. Uh, Twitter users, as you can imagine, embraced the seagull, making it a social media star.
14: Why do we get spiders? It I would have been better right? if we had a nice-looking seagull versus a spider on the top Versus count. the creepy spider. Yeah. Mm,
1: beautiful, well-groomed, trying to speak to us, mm-hmm. Not sure what he wanted to say. Uh-huh. Jay Janauer. Uh, yeah, good to see you.
10: Well, guess where Squire is today? On National Golf Day in our country. Oh, oh is he golfing? That's he's why golfing. He's off today. Uh-huh. That's why you've got me tonight.
2: All right, the mm. double makes a guest appearance. Thank you.
10: I should quickly mention Omaha Beach has been scratched from the Kentucky Derby. Oh, Late scratch. Got a Ooh. cough. Yeah, favorite at the Kentucky Derby. (laughs) There's a a lot of unhappy B.C. Lions fans following the news of Solomon Elamimian being cut by B.C. and how Lions general manager Ed Hervey went about doing it. Many have the belief that Elamimian, if he wasn't part of the B.C. Lions plans this year, Hervey should have cut him months ago, which which would have given the linebacker plenty of time to catch on with another team. And Elamimian will set a record by bringing him down. The new tackle king in the Canadian Football League.
6: He was a great player, he is still one of the best players in this league, solid player all around and will be remembered as one of the great Lions uh, to ever put on the jersey.
10: Game time, show time. 5 6 all day baby. In his 9 years in BC Lions colors, Solomon Elamimian established himself as one of the all-time greats to ever play for BC. He's the club's all-time leader in defensive tackles, won a pair of Outstanding Defensive Player of the Year awards, and made league history in 2014, becoming the first ever defensive player to be named the CFL's most outstanding player. So after all that he's done for the organization, why wait until the 11th hour to release him?
6: We were looking at all possibilities, and unfortunately we had a deadline on April 30th where we had to make a decision, and all teams had to make a decision on, you know, to get down to 75 players. And for, for our organization, it was just, um, you know, we were running out of time. And, and unfortunately, it was, uh, you know, the deadline was yesterday.
10: The cold, hard reality of pro sports is the bottom line. And in Ed Hervey's world, there are certain positions like quarterback, offensive, and defensive lines where he'll spend big money on players. It's something that BC did this past offseason. And even though Ellen Mimian took a pay cut last year, from a scheduled base salary of around 225000 the math was simply never going to work out in his favor.
6: The the reality is, is that we have a, a structure that we believe will work for us. And uh, you know the, the, that position in particular, uh, the linebacker position in particular, is not a position that we put a lot of stock in as far as you know, investing big dollars in. Um, it's just the way that it is.
10: Storm surge continuing in Carolina. Game three between the Hurricanes and Islanders. Canes holding a 2-0 series lead. Not at one midway through the second. Islanders power play just coming to an end. Jordan Stahl lob wedging it up and over the neutral zone. Justin Falk, he just came out of the penalty box. Talk about being Johnny on the spot. He was chomping to get this puck. Canes, 2-1 lead. Good backhander, there too, but the celebration was short-lived. Just over two minutes later, Carolina can't clear the zone. Overskate the puck. Josh Bailey. Rister from the top of the hash marks, 2-2 two, two after two. But the Canes, a resilient bunch, always applying the pressure. Islanders goalie Robin Leonard gets caught wandering. Carolina has just added a couple empty netters. They've got a 3-0 series lead thanks to their 5-2 win. Champions League semifinal, first leg between Barcelona and Liverpool. Was all Barcelona on the scoreboard or more like Lionel Messi? Suarez rattles it off the bar and then Messi just taps it in. This guy loves scoring goals. It doesn't matter if it's career goal number one or in this case on the free kick, career goal number 600 for Barcelona. Liverpool takes it on the chin today. 3 0 final. The return leg goes at Anfield next Tuesday. Man, is it nice to watch him play.
7: I'm Jason Bodgeford and we're starting a new segment here. Originally, uh, these guys wanted to call this um, Ask Botch. Uh, kind of made me sick to my stomach. Uh, I was nauseated with the idea of this hashtag uh, going out there, Ask Botch. They wanted me to tweet that. That made my skin crawl. So um, we're left with this, which is um, essentially the, the Pravi's report. He was
10: one of a kind. Hockey World mourning the loss of Jason Botchford, who passed away on the weekend at the age of 48. Botch was the author, creator of The Pravis, later moving on to The Athletic. He was passionate, a magnificent storyteller. He had his own unique style, created his own niche, carved up his own path in the sports journalism community. Botch was extremely talented. He was also a husband and a father to three young children. We pass on our sincere condolences to his wife Catherine and the entire family. And one final hat tip to Botch himself. Rest in peace, my friend.
1: Well, they allow apartment and condo dwellers to grow their own veggies. And in Victoria, community garden plots are so popular, people are waiting years to hit pay dirt.
2: Kylie Stanton has more on what's driving the huge demand for personal green space.
14: So we've got some sorrel and some mixed herbs in the corner.
17: If anyone understands what it means to be patient, it's gardeners.
14: It's two or three months to get to... uh, to the stage that you can see it at now.
17: But it's two or three years, sometimes even longer, before a plot here becomes available.
14: We have a a long waiting list of about 64 people looking to join.
17: It's a common issue right across Greater Victoria, where the demand for community garden spaces is at an all-time high. There are 50 people waiting for an opening in Burnside, 20 at the 8th Street location, and another 20 in Vic West.
6: People come, and they rent a plot.
17: Here in Saanich, at the Gorge Park Community Garden, it's no
6: different. We have about 58, 59 on the waiting list at this point in time.
17: To generate more supply requires not only committed volunteer manpower, but a more streamlined process with municipalities.
6: If resources are allocated, if money is allocated, then it'll be much easier.
17: It's become a challenging situation for advocates of local food production like Life Cycle's Project Society. It's seeing so many people wanting to dig in and do their part to protect the planet, but not having any access to land.
5: There's a lot of beautiful spaces in the city that are just growing grass. People are mowing that grass. We're putting in
7: fossil fuels to maintain these these fields um, when we could be... Utilizing them as community sites to grow food together.
17: The City of Victoria is currently investing up to $140,000 a year to assist community led food systems projects, but admits getting them off the ground is difficult. In the meantime, it's encouraging would be gardeners to consider the alternatives.
5: There are other options around boulevard gardening, commons gardens, community orchards, uh, gardening with your neighbors. You know, there's a lot of other um, avenues to be explored.
17: As for Mitchell, she understands the frustration. She was on the wait list for three years, but her patience paid off.
14: So yes, it's worth the wait.
17: Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. That garden is beautiful.
2: Mm -hmm. It is
1: certainly worth the wait. We're waiting on the blueberries. Lots of buds on the little blueberry tree, but...
2: You have a blueberry tree? We do.
1: We have a little blueberry bush right out in front of our house. Can't wait to sample the jam. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) We'll bring in some fresh blueberries for you, for sure. Awesome. Um, Yeah, what an amazing-looking dry spell we're heading into here. And Mm -hmm. and that's great, but that's troubling, too, because not a lot of moisture.
14: Yeah, and we haven't had any since the... Uh, Easter long weekend basically mm-hmm. we've had a little bit but not much. So it has been two weeks of dry weather and as far as we can see for the next week no major moisture I know interior regions will see a little bit but with that northerly flow it tends to be more just spotty showers it doesn't really bring in some good moisture so yeah there is certainly a concern for the next little while but it's nice for everyone to enjoy sure that. It works uh, out
2: for people who, have fr- uh, who for whom today is their
14: Friday. Right. Yeah. But oh, slight tomorrow. chance of showers still tomorrow sorry. No. Very slight <laughs> like a pop up shower. Room.
1: Guess who else, else is golf going around. golfing around here. <laughs> Thanks for watching folks. Have a good night.